I'm going to be reading out of the Old Testament, and um, we want to be speaking about a very well-known character, one that if you grew up in church, you would recognize his name straight away. If not, he's a character that you need to go and read after um, when you go home. And you will just love this character because he is so much like you and I, and yet God just used him so profoundly. And we want to look at Elijah today. We don't know much about his family or birth, but we do know that Elijah's name means, my God is the Lord. And again, within this passage, you, where we read it, you'll find out that, that um, the Lord is used. And it refers to the God who has entered into a covenant relationship with his people. And that covenant relationship was binding. Um, and, um, of course, within the New Testament, uh, you would say, well, Piet, how do we step into covenant with God? And we all know that we step into covenant with God through the Lord Jesus Christ when we recognize that he died upon the cross. But not only did he die upon the cross, but that he died on the cross for the world. That means it is for you and I. And when we recognize that, when we understand that he took our sins upon himself, so that we could have a relationship with God, we enter into a covenant relationship with God. A covenant that God is not going to break. In Timothy, it says that even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. And we see this within the story of Elijah, and we want to focus on that today, that Irrespective of what happens within our lives, the Lord, the covenant God, keeps his promises to us, whether we are doing great or whether we are not doing that good. And um, this is so like us here. So let's start reading from verse 1 of First Kings chapter 19. And we want to read from verses 1 to 7. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. For those of you who are visiting with us, Ahab was a king, but he wasn't a very, very good king, and Jezebel was his wife. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with you. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. How many of you know that that's a pretty bad threat? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down underneath and prayed, 
that he might die. And he says, I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. The words that I would like us to focus on today is found in verse 4. And Elijah says, I have had enough, Lord. And I've just entitled this message today, Enough is Enough. Have you ever heard your parents say to you when you've been difficult to dealt with, to deal with, and they look at you and they say, enough is enough. My mother had a way of saying it in words, but then um, her action followed soon after that. And normally, by the way, of putting a, a, a sandal, a leather sandal of my dad's, right next to her. And she always carried that leather sandal in her bag. She had a big bag wherever we went as children. My sister was always the naughtier one of the two of us, and um, she would dispute that probably today, but whenever my mom had to use the term, enough is enough, it was followed by action. And we see here with Elijah that he was a man that God used to speak through, and that is what a prophet is, is someone whom God chooses to deliver his message through to his people. Why? Because God loved his people, and so he chose people to speak through. And Elijah was one of these people. And um, he's a wonderful character because God not only spoke through him, but God also worked through him. And mighty, mighty miracles flowed from him into the lives of others. And we see here that Elijah had just come back from a mighty conquest. He has just won an incredible victory, um, defeating the prophets of Baal on the mountain. And um, this was an incredible victory that he had gained. And um, as a matter of fact, he was all by himself in the midst of all of these prophets of Baal. And um, he wanted to prove that God is the Lord. The prophets of Baal said, no, we have another God. And so they were in this contest together where they were offering sacrifices. And Elijah made it difficult. And to offer a sacrifice of fire, he would build an altar. But to make it even more difficult, three times... He would pour water around the altar, then put fire on it, and, my friends, you know, a sacrifice would start up, and worship would flow to God. And the prophets of Baal couldn't do it. And so we see here that Elijah was a man of faith. 
Elijah was a man who wanted to live his life for God's glory. Elijah wanted the nations to know this God who loves them. And he had such a confidence within God that he would go even to the point of the ridiculous to prove that God was the Lord and he was the only God. He had just won this incredible battle. Ahab and Jezebel had heard of it. He was the wicked king. And Jezebel, his wife, said, we're not going to stand for this. We've got to make Elijah's life an absolute um, difficulty. We've we've got to create difficulty within his life. Um, We've got to put him under pressure. Uh, We've got to let him run. We've, We've got to instill fear within him. And she set out to do that. And so we pick up the scripture here where she sets out to make his life a terrible experience. It stands to reason that if Elijah overcame, I think there were 40 prophets of Baal on top of the mountain, why would he be afraid of the king's wife, Jezebel? As a matter of fact, Ahab wasn't a very strong leader. His wife um, superseded his authority. She set out to take the lead in this, and together they went, and they made Elijah's life very, very difficult for him. I would have thought if I wrote the story that Elijah would have had the courage to stand up against Ahab and Jezebel, stood his ground pushed them back, and trusted in God, this mighty man of faith. That's what I would have thought he would have done. But the Bible tells us that he acted very differently. Verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. This man was in serious trouble. He prayed that he might die. Not only that, he said, Lord, I have had enough. Now, it's very interesting. The word Lord here is written in capital letters. Would you look in your Bibles? Just have a look there. In verse 4, the latter part, just before verse 5. Lord, I have had enough. He recognized the God who is the God of the covenant. He recognized that God was absolutely committed to him. But in his humanity, he had gotten to the place where enough was enough. What was your week like? Did you feel at times like enough was just enough? Have you been overwhelmed by circumstances and you would say, enough is just enough? Well, my friends, even Jesus, when you look at the latter chapters of the Gospels, came to a place 
where he felt enough was enough. If you remember when he prayed to his father, just before he was led to the cross, he said, Lord, if it is possible for this cup to pass me by, let it happen. Nevertheless, not my will, but let your will be done. So we know that even Jesus had gotten to a place where he just said, Lord, with my own humanity, enough is enough. We know that Jesus never sinned, whereas you and I do. Jesus never sinned, but the pressure was so severe upon him. He knew he was going to carry the weight of the world upon his shoulders. He knew that darkness was going to cover him. He knew that the Father was going to turn his face from him. And that dread he couldn't take. And he says, Father, if there's another way, show it to me. But of course he knew that there wasn't another way like that. And he said, let your will be done. Elijah, on the other hand, was just in a place where he had no more strength. Everything that he had, he threw into the previous victory that he had attained, overcoming the prophets of Baal. My friends, it wasn't just a normal battle that he fought. It was a spiritual battle. My friends, when we are involved in a spiritual battle, it not only takes the emotional strength from us or the physical strength from us, but spiritually we can be drained. I think Elijah was at that point where, yes, he was tired physically. Emotionally, he had no reserves left. It was on empty. He was in the red zone. But I think spiritually, he just said, Lord, I can't do this any longer. Enough is enough. He didn't have a problem with the Lord because he prayed to him. He recognized God as the God who keeps his word. But Elijah had a problem with himself. Do you sometimes have a problem with yourself? This is what Martin Luther once said. He said, I am more afraid of my own heart than the Pope of Rome. For in my own heart there dwells that great Pope called Self. He goes on to say, no one has given me more trouble than me. <laughs> this is where Elijah finds himself. Now, it's very possible that you and I find ourselves at this point from time to time. I'm not sure whether he had a crisis of faith here, as some commentators may say. I'm not sure about that. But I think he had a crisis of self. And there's a few lessons that he learns here. And there's a few lessons that we need to learn here when we have a crisis with self. The first lesson that we need to learn is yesterday's victories do not assure you of a problem-free today. 
So be on your guard. <laughs> I think Elijah won that victory. I think maybe his servant or servants around him said, well done. Not sure whether Elijah would have taken the glory for it because he knew it was totally supernatural what had happened here. God showed up. But I do think that Elijah must have thought, "Mm." the rest of the journey is going to be easy. Proverb writer reminds us and said that hell has no fury like a woman scorned. And Elijah meets up with a woman and he meets up with her scorn, Jezebel. There is a spiritual dynamic. Scripture tells us all the way through into Revelation of the characteristic of the Jezebel spirit. That it is an overwhelming spirit. Now, just to get the ladies, now I know you're fighting with me already. It's not necessarily a woman's spirit. It can be in men as well. Here it is characterized as a demonic spirit, the Jezebel spirit, that overcomes those who are servants of God and makes their lives a living hell. And we see that this is exactly what happens here. His humanity is overcome by the spiritual forces that's in play. But we see here that he runs away from Jezebel and from Ahab. I want you to know that Elijah knew what it meant. To stand against spiritual forces and to trust God. The Bible tells us that Elijah prophesied a drought to come upon the whole land as a consequence of Ahab's evil. Now that was before chapter 19. So we know that there's been things going on between him and King Ahab in that previous year. We know that there's a battle, but now in that battle, Jezebel steps in too. And it seems like the odds are overwhelming for him. We know that God warns Elijah, and he tells him to go near to the brook of Cherith. And as he hides from Ahab, he is fed by the ravens. He's experienced the 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 miraculous provisions of God. The ravens came and they fed him. That was before chapter 19. As the drought and the famine in the land deepened, Elijah meets a widow in his neighboring country. And through her obedience and upon Elijah's request, God provides food for Elijah, the woman, and her son. And miraculously, the widow's barrel of flour and jar and of oil never ran out. Elijah knew the provisions of God. And yet, from chapter 17 and 18, we move to chapter 19. And he is overcome by the forces that are at play here. 
My friends, it happens to the strongest of us that we get to this place where we are on our knees before God. Instead of worshiping Him, we just say, I'm resigning. (laughs) Did you ever want to write a letter of resignation to God? I speak to a friend and he reminds me of a pastor friend who told him, he said, if pastors don't resign from the position of leadership within the church at least once a week, they're not doing their job well. (laughs) Have you ever wanted to resign? Well, if you are in that place where you want to resign today, maybe from your duties as a mother. That's quite common, by the way. But sorry, you can't resign. (laughs) From being a wife or a husband, you want to resign. Sorry, you can't do it. You signed a covenant. Stick with it. You'd say, Piet, you're not married to the man I'm married to. Absolutely, I'm not. But God gives us grace for the spouse that he has given us. Amen? That's so weak. Would you say amen to that? Yeah. It's true. Other women won't put up with me. Only Jenny would. God's given her the grace for it. You can't resign. And this wonderful man, Elijah, is a sincere man. He would see that he was a true man. There was nothing fake about him. And I love that, don't you? And my friends, it is not sinful to come to God and to say, I've had enough. But my friends, what can turn to sinfulness is when we no longer go to God with that. Amen. That's the difference. We need to bring it to God. And maybe I need to put a comma and add the word eventually. Because there are times when we don't even want to bring it before God. We can't stay there too long, but I understand when we get there. From time to time, I've been there too. Where I just say, Lord, I want to resign. (laughs) I've had enough. Yesterday's victories... Do not assure you a problem free today. Let's be on our guard. The second lesson that Elijah learned was that today's challenges or failures do not have to define you, especially when it's centered in Christ. Can we learn that? When we counsel people, can we say that to them? Today's challenges or failures do not have to define you. And my friends, there are times when we sin. And the devil would want to tell us and sell us the lie, and he would love to say to you that that is you for the rest of your life. 
My friends, friends, Paul in Romans chapter 6 says that where sin abounded, grace superabounds. Superabounds. Do not let the devil categorize you, put you in the second coach when you should be actually in first class. He is so clever just to say to you, and he does it so surreptitiously, so deceitfully, he will put you in second class and he's going to say to you, that is where you need to remain for the rest of your life because you sinned. My friends, our sin does not define us. Christ, ultimate provision upon the cross, defines you and I. And that's where we live. And this is what Elijah is coming to terms with as he journeys within this very difficult experience within his life. One Peter chapter five verse ten says, "And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast." God defines you. And the most wonderful thing here is that as Elijah cries and opens up his heart to God, we see that God speaks to him. That's a wonderful thing. And this is the third lesson that Elijah learned. He learned that tomorrow's unknowns will be unveiled in the revelations of a known God. My friends, when you're in this place where enough is enough, it is not only the present that scares you, but your tomorrow is uncertain. But it's only uncertain to you. But to the one who holds tomorrow in his hands, your future is certain. And Elijah was learning to it. But not only was his future certain, in the hands of a covenant-keeping God. God started to reveal himself again to Elijah in most wonderful ways. You see, the devil will say to you that when you've sinned, when you've messed up, or when you are just so tired physically that you are drained, he will say to you, well, you will never hear God's voice again. You will never experience God's presence again. God will never use you again. But when we look at this passage of Scripture, you will see just the contrary. Elijah was used by God powerfully again. Because God defines you differently than the devil does. And because God has a future for your life, he will use you again. That's his delight. He finds such pleasure with you. God will use you again. First Kings chapter 19, verse 11, the Lord says to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So sorry, firstly, Elijah experienced God's presence again. This is the very, very thing 
that David, after he had sinned with Bathsheba, after he murdered her husband, and after he lied and deceived people, the thing that he was most concerned about was that he would never experience God's presence again. You see, David knew what it meant to be in the presence of God. My friends, if you know what it means to experience God's presence, it is the most valuable gift than what you can have is his presence. David experienced God's presence again. The same way Elijah, after he said enough is enough, he experienced God's presence again on the mountain. It's interesting, God told him to go up on the mountain. It seems like that God used Elijah on mountains, isn't it? I mean, we, yeah, and I'm jumping way ahead, but um, yeah, let's leave that for the third point. And then secondly, God not only allowed Elijah to experience his presence again, that pleasure that we have in having intimacy with God. But God anointed him anew for ministry. Because you sinned, it doesn't mean that God is finished with you. He anointed Elijah again for ministry. Verse 19 of chapter 19 says, So Elijah went from there and found Elijah, son of Zephyr. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Who was that? Elisha. When I grew up, I always thought that Elijah and Elisha was a brother and a sister. But Elisha was actually a man. (laughs) But God anointed Elijah to go and anoint Elisha and to put a his mantle on him and Elisha asked for a double portion of his spirit and as a matter of fact when you go into the bible you'll find out that Elisha did double the amount of miracles than Elijah had done but God used Elijah in this my friends God wants to use you again and then lastly Elijah after being taken to heaven we see shows up with Moses and with Jesus on the mount of transfiguration Isn't that amazing? God wasn't finished with Elijah because he said enough is enough. God allowed Elijah to share one of the most privileged experiences of all of his life. Remember, Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. He didn't experience death like maybe you and I would. He was taken up, but then with Moses on the mount, he met with God on Mount Tabor or Mount Hermon. They're not quite sure which one it was. And he had an incredible experience with God's people and with Jesus. My friends, do not listen to the voices of the enemy. But listen to God's affirmation that through his son Jesus, he wants to draw us to himself. So these are the three lessons that Elijah learned. Yesterday's victories do not assure you of a problem-free today. Today's challenges or failures centered in Christ do not have to define you. 
and tomorrow's unknowns will be unveiled in the revelations of a known Redeemer. My friends, be courageous.